the FDA authorized a new test developed by Abbott Labs that delivers lightning-fast results in as little as five minutes. That's a whole new ballgame. Yep, so there's this new test that you can find out in five minutes whether you got it or not. Uh, it got approved on Friday. They're going to start making 50000 a day this week. I don't know how long it takes to then start distributing them around the country or whatever. That's a step in the right direction. Shouldn't have taken this long. Getting to this article in the New York Times front page yesterday um, about the mess. I'll read a little from the first paragraph. Because the the... the Almost the entire crisis would be completely different if we'd have had the kind of testing we should have had. And we didn't. And that we thought we had. That we thought we had because the CDC was telling states, oh, yeah, we're prepared for this. We're ready to go. Because of technical flaws, regulatory hurdles, business as usual bureaucracies, and a lack of leadership at multiple levels, according to interviews with more than 50 current and former public health officials, uh, this is how this whole thing happened. The New York Times did a deep dive on this, and this is something that we need to do a deep dive on. And I hope that it gets better, but I'm I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not so certain that's a possibility. Oh, there's one more part that I want to bring to you before I get into the meat of this because it's just absolutely astounding. Bring us the meat. Um, uh, the first time. Oh, I'm going to mention a lot of names here. Maybe you know who they are. Maybe you don't. Doesn't make a difference. Just assume they're you know they're in the chain somewhere. All right. Don't let's not get bogged down on the names. The okay. first time Dr. Robert Redfield heard about the severity of the virus from his Chinese counterparts was around New Year's Day when he was on vacation with his family. He spent so much time on the phone that day that they barely saw him, and what he heard rattled him. In one grim conversation about the virus days later, George F. Gao, the director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention, burst into tears on the phone. And they only had a total of 3,800 deaths in China, Jack. <laughs> if you're talking to your Chinese counterpart, who's a scientist and, you know, kind of has a cold reality about these sort of things, and they burst into tears and break down emotionally while you're on the phone, might be a decent indication that something pretty major is going on. Very quickly, to explain my cynicism, there are reports locally out of Wuhan that it was not 3,800 people died, but closer to 40,000 and the Chinese are lying about it by a factor of 10. Well, now, come on, China! Imagine what that probably looked like. It'd be way worse than New York, because they were hiding it, and they have not near the medical care we have and everything. So right. they were probably just, they probably had dead people everywhere. Lacking were, protective gear, you're seeing doctors drop. They were absolutely just swamped, and yeah. that's why the, the Chinese guy he was talking to just broke down on the phone emotionally. Assessing the virus would prove challenging. It was so new that scientists had little information to work with. China provided limited data and rebuffed an early attempt by Mr. Azar and Dr. Redfield to send CDC experts there to learn more. You know why? Because they are trying to keep a secret how bad it was. Right. So rather than have the best people in the world come to help out and stop this from taking over China and the rest of the world, they said, nah, you're not allowed. To protect the Communist Party. In the meanwhile, they went to burning the thousands of bodies. The virus could cause no symptoms and still spread something we all know now, but they didn't know then, and it was difficult to get that information because of the way China was handling it. Um, now I'll skip ahead to the, uh, the breakdown and trying to get testing kits and everything like that. The emergency announcement created a new barrier for hospitals and laboratories that wanted to create their own tests to diagnose the coronavirus. Usually they faced minimal federal regulation, but once Mr. Azar took action, they were subject to an FDA process called an emergency use authorization, 
which they thought would help things, but it actually slowed things down. Exactly. In an emergency, there's more red tape. In short. Uh, Even though researchers around the country quickly began creating tests that could diagnose COVID-19, many said they were hindered by the FDA's approval process. The new tests sat unused at labs around the country. That's right. There are tests in labs all around the country not being used. Weeks ago. Weeks ago. Could have saved uh, lives. Obviously, could have had a tremendous effect on the economy. Your business might be open today. Right. How interesting that in an emergency, the response is, all right, we need to tamp down on creativity and enterprise. Need to centralize everything. Nobody does anything without my approval. Because what if one of those kits that was produced by some university turned out to be faulty? Better to have none anywhere in the whole freaking country than have some faulty test made somewhere. Right. Which is Probably fairly unlikely anyway, because well, they got their reputation on the line also. Exactly. Stanford was one of them. Researchers at the world-renowned university had a working test by February. Nah, you pipe down over there, Stanford. We're the government. Based on protocols published by the WHO, the organization had already delivered more than 250,000 of the German-designed tests to 70 laboratories around the world, and doctors at Stanford Lab wanted to be prepared for the pandemic. But in the face of what he called relatively tight rules at the FDA, Dr. Pinsky and his colleagues decided against even trying to win permission. The Stanford Clinical Lab would not begin testing coronavirus samples until March, when Dr. Hahn finally relaxed the rules. Ah, six, eight weeks in a pandemic. Eh, no big deal. So I was saying earlier, the same thing that stopped my wife and I from boarding horses when we first bought our farm. When we found out that when the when the when the county said, well, you'd have to get retrofitted for uh, earthquake, even though there are never earthquakes where I live, and you'd have to have a handicap spot here, and then you'd have this have to have this level insurance in case this happened, and they'd have to test the soil to see that very thing yeah. is what happened with these testing kits, and the people at Stanford, and they're way smarter and energetic than I am, said we might as well not even try. Wow. That was their reaction. <sighs> Uh, so frustrating. Hmm. So they had it, the beginning of February. They had it nailed down. It wasn't until middle March before they were able to do it. Pinsky and his colleagues decided against even trying to win permission because they knew how hard it was going to be. Wow. Just gave up. Wow. Officials at the FDA tried to be responsive, Dr. Miller said, but rather than throw out the rules, the agency only modified the regulatory requirements, still requiring weeks of discussions and negotiations. By February 26th, Dr. Fauci, who probably by that time had enough heft he could really get people's attention, having become a TV star at that point, Mm -hmm. was concerned that the stalled testing had become an urgent issue that needed to be addressed. He called all these different people, you don't know their names, or maybe you do, and asked them to gather the group of officials overseeing the screening efforts. At noon on February 27th, Dr. Hahn, Dr. Redfield, and top aides from the FDA and HHS dialed into a conference call. Mr. Harrison began with an ultimatum. No one leaves until we resolve the lag in testing. We don't have answers, and we need them, one senior administration, administration official recalled, saying, get it done. By the end of the day, the group agreed that the FDA should loosen regulations so that hospitals and independent labs could move forward quickly with their own tests. It took a couple of months 
to get people to agree to that decision. And and then, and it's worth noting, because we've been talking about this for years, Congress passes the law of uh, nobody gets sick, and they create the FDA. Then they empower the FDA and its bureaucrats to create such rules, regulations, and laws as are needed. Well, they don't call them laws because Congress is supposed to pass laws, but they're rules and regulations with the force of law. And then, isn't it curious, my friends, that because Dr. Fauci, who's a TV star, said, listen, change those rules. The bureaucrats changed the rules. It wasn't legislation. It wasn't Congress. It wasn't we the people. It was one bureaucrat yelling at the other. And those bureaucrats who had the power said, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll make the rules make sense now. And then they changed it. Why do we give so much power to unelected bureaucrats? Because we're convinced that, you know, Congress is going to build us a utopia by building these giant government bureaucracies. Took all that time before they could loosen the regulations so that hospitals and independent labs could do what they are experts at doing. Figure out a way to test this. Uh, and then I like this paragraph at the end of the New York Times article. In tacit acknowledgement of the shortage, Mr. Trump asked South Korea's president on Monday to send as many test kits as possible from the 100,000 produced there daily. That was one of the saddest things I've ever read in my life. The United States of America th- that has invented practically everything on planet Earth um, and has more money than any country by far is buying test kits from little tiny South Korea because they have their act together and we don't. Right. Weeks after. I mean, it's smart. Weeks after Stanford had a great test. It's smart to acknowledge that and go ahead and buy them because we can afford it. That's a good move. But the fact that we have to is just depressing and embarrassing. We should be embarrassed as a nation. I am. Hey, South Korea, can we we buy some of those kits that you're making every day? Because we still haven't made any. Oh, no, we we have all the Silicon Valley. We We got plenty of geniuses. No, that's not a problem we got some of the smartest people in the whole world. People from other countries that are the smartest come here and work at our university. Well, then why haven't you made any? Well, we won't let us make any. What? Because we got like 19 different levels of regulation that you have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. And even in emergency, the biggest emergency of all of our lives, it took this long to, to make this happen. So what's your chance of... You're trying to develop a better toaster or something. Yeah. <laughs> you never. That will never get better. Uh, do you want an affectionate little kid or Lenny from Of Mice and Men? Just pick one. As a roommate? Or? Just, just, I don't just, understand the question. Just pick one. <laughs> Which one are you going to go with? Sean, you choose. Affectionate little kid or Lenny from Of Mice and Men? <laughs> affectionate kid. Lenny's dangerous. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He doesn't mean to be. But he is. He yeah. is. Yeah. That's right. That's reality. Means to be. Tell us again about the Wright Brothers' Uncle Jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great story. So you had the the government efforts at a plane, and this guy named uh, Professor Langworth, um, who had worked on this for years and years and years, and had all the backing of the government and endless money. And he and he's a lot of those videos you've seen of the like six wings and you jump off a cliff and land on the ground. <laughs> you know, he's a lot of those <laughs> with the government backing. And so he's got the time and the money and the resources, but he couldn't get a plane off the ground. A couple of guys who run a bike store in, in, in Ohio with hardly any money, shoestring budget, they do it because they don't have a, what if this goes wrong? You don't have to sign off on this. You don't have to get this agency to approve that. And old Langworth spent by modern uh, dollars tens of millions of dollars, whereas the Wright brothers were literally just the money they had. They had they spent couch money. How how do how couch change? It, it actually depresses me. I do it not depress me. It empowers me, Jack. Yeah. We've got to fight. You still have hope. Mine is snuffed out a long time ago. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, uh, I I do not believe that we will uh, strip away these layers of bureaucracy and be nimble for the next whatever. Uh, I just don't think we will.
Well, I think everybody listening is on board. How about you all tell a friend or, or turn them on to the show or play them this podcast or something? Hey, good news. The WHO says video game. Hey, parents, especially good news. WHO says video games are a good idea. A little on that. I know this stuff. All Did the they way. say anything about the second bottle of wine of the evening? <laughs> Just, uh, for, Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, um, a couple of things to hit before we talk about our new favorite show. There's a couple of a couple of ways to kill time. WHO is recommending video games for kids, or for anybody really, for social distancing. But man, if you're a parent, you know I've been uh, late to the game on. Uh, Late to the party on video games, not wanting my kids in a screen and spending the time. But mm-hmm. during this thing right now, when everybody's struggling to find a way to keep you occupied and 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 just their mind off of what's going on, it's pretty pretty handy. It's an emergency, Jack. It's it an is emergency, emergency measure. Um, but I wanted to mention this: Hillary with just an unbelievable tweet over the weekend, and I understand the partisan times we live in and everything. Dan Crenshaw, he's the uh, the eye patch congressman. Mm-hmm. He actually war uh, hero. He actually um, commented on her tweet and said, "Delete your account. This isn't the time." Hillary Clinton tweeted over the weekend. It had a link to the New York Times version of "We've now passed China for the n- n- most corona cases," mm-hmm. and Hillary tweeted, "He did promise America first. Wow, that is just wow. the worst." Wow. I mean, that's wrong on multiple levels. Being critical of the president, that's fine. You know, that's the, it's time honored. We ought to be. That's that. fine. Yeah. That, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm not sure. Just, you know, partisanship now is the best thing, but whatever. Although but everybody's that, engaging in it. So. But that is just crazy. Yeah, that's responsible journalists in China. Are saying China had at least ten times the deaths they're admitting to. Well, ten even, times, and why? Yeah, even like if I said, it it's wrong on multiple levels. It's clearly a joke. I mean, it's like a sarcastic joke. Yeah, which this is not really a time for people of her status to be making sarcastic jokes. My hero H. L. Mencken suggested that unsuccessful uh, presidential candidates be hurled off the top of the Washington Monument to their deaths. What? So that uh, they wouldn't walk across the countryside like a bitter ghost haunting the good people because they just they're bitter and hateful and just uh, for the rest of their lives spew nothing but poison. Hey, we got this text because they've been listening to the show. Uh, No conversation about Joe Exotic will be complete unless there's a discussion of his using a ghost singer for his country album. So hysterical. What are we talking about? We're talking about this. Spoiler alert. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Joe Exotic and this is Sarge. He was like a mythical character living out in the middle of bum Oklahoma who owned 1,200 tigers and lions and bears. So, Sean mentioned this, what, Thursday or Friday, that this is the hot news show. 
uh, Tiger King on Netflix. Then I was watching David Spade over the weekend, and he had his whole show yep. de- dedicated to him and other comedians talking about Tiger King. A couple and, of buddies of mine in real life were texting each other about it with me in the string, and I was like, what is this? And I thought, okay, another thing. I should check this out so I can at least talk about it on the air. And got sucked in and can't stop watching mm. this show about this guy who owns... Well, it starts out about him owning a bunch of tigers, but the the tigers kind of become, at least so far where I am, superfluous to the story. You know, despite people getting limbs eaten off and that sort of thing. And then now going and back to work. <laughs> and then going back to work. Now there's work to it's, be done. It's about cults. It's about sex. It's about all the damaged human beings that exist in the world. Where oh. do they come from? And it's just so freaking entertaining. I couldn't yeah. recommend it more highly. Yeah. Ermagerd. Yeah, not for the kids. No. I bought, you, Boy, you know, it's it's also about dentistry, Jack. The, the, oh. The, the, oh. The, the bad teeth in this thing are astounding. Like I said, well, the, I, it's not the bad teeth, it's the lack of teeth. I think his one-toothed hunky boyfriend yes. should get his own show. Yeah. Because I think he's entertaining enough on well, his own. did you hear he's doing interviews now? He's pissed off because he's got a lot more teeth now than he used to, and he wishes. <laughs> oh, good for him. <laughs> I don't know if he wants him to CGI some chicklets in there or what, but guy's got like three max. Oh, the sound clip that uh, my wife and I wanted to get is from... From the first episode right at the beginning, you get the one skinny, meth casualty, out of prison dude who works there at his tiger place. And he says, well, I answered I answered a Craigslist ad. And some people say that's not a good idea. But look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> the look at me now is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just it's it's uh, I can't I can't recommend it high enough. Check it out and then text us about it. A really great documentary is never about what it seems to be about. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. about humans. Yep, and You're it right. finds a unique way to to show you humans. <laughs> and it, it's made me prefer tigers. Not as many teeth as humans, but uh... yeah, the tigers have way more teeth than the humans. Armstrong and Getty. Shut up about Tiger King after this. But for instance, <laughs> but for instance, the way they lay it out where they interview that one girl who works there for the whole first episode and she's got a stump. Uh-huh. So she works with wild animals with a stump and they never reference it. Right. I mean, that's just so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laying it out. It's the it's the classic uh, Chekhov's gun. There's a gun in the first act. It better go off in the second act. Right, right. Um, uh, the genius of having hundreds of hours of footage and, and dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews and assembling that into a whole that's as compelling as this thing is, is just, it's, it's a lot harder than it looks, folks. Sean was just saying this might be the most, the nation's watching it together streaming show of, yeah. of the of the modern era, kind of monoculture is what you would call things like uh, the Game of Thrones or like you know uh, Sopranos back in the yeah, day, where yeah. the, the the next Monday everybody's hey, did you see the? This is the first streaming exclusive show that I've seen that's done that. So Joe thinks there need the president President Trump needs to declare a national a schedule. Everybody catch up. We're all going to watch episode three Thursday <laughs> night at eight and then yeah. tweet about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> that would be awesome. And listen, they've there's there have been discussed various laws and regulations that are clearly in violation of our constitutional rights. You know, peaceable assembly among other things. People have even advocated some absolutely idiotic measures that would limit free speech, but. 
uh, I think maybe in this emergency is necessary for the president to say any spoiler alerts will be punishable by the long prison terms. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't watched Tiger King uh, on uh, Netflix, get caught up on it. Um, or bum it off a friend who's got a subscription. <laughs> Speaking of unconstitutional, this is pretty amazing. The governor of Rhode Island has banned any visitors from the other 49 states to come into Rhode Island. If you come into Rhode Island, you need to quarantine for 14 days. They're setting up troopers at the uh, <clears throat> where the uh, major interstates go through. This has never been done before. Um, now, uh, Governor Cuomo of New York, because a lot of New Yorkers are headed to Rhode Island to get away from New York, has said, this is unconstitutional. I don't think it's legal, and it's certainly not neighborly. But it's it's happening today, and we'll see where this goes. Uh, that is uh, she signed an ex- fraught with with uh, dangers and, and uncertainty. She signed an executive order imposing a quarantine on all visitors from any state by any mode of transportation who are coming into Rhode Island. Any mode? Donkey? Dirigible? <laughs> dirigible. <laughs> Just up to the Ds. I hot air ballooned in. Am I uh, okay? Am I exempt? <laughs> No. So uh, I've been paying more attention to this Gottlieb guy when he's on a show. I wasn't mocking him a couple of weeks ago, but I was like, how come nobody's paying attention to this? When he was on Face the Nation saying, somebody's going to have to be the first to close down a city or a state. Yeah. And, and, I, and I thought, that could never happen. What are you talking about, you crazy person? Right. And then, shut down a state. And then like three days later, we were doing it. Dope. Here he was a little uh, yesterday talking about, talking about how April is going to look. It's going to be a difficult April. We're going to get through this. April's going to be a hard month. Coming May, come May, we'll be coming out of this and we'll be able to contemplate starting to lift some of these measures as we see the epidemic curve come down. Remember, it's, this isn't going to be a simultaneous reduction across the country. New York's going to come down before the rest of the country does. And it may appear that the overall number of cases around the nation are coming down because New York represents such a big part of that. Mm-hmm. But in fact, New York could be coming down and the other parts of the country going up. So we need to look at this on a regional basis. Well, and that's what the president talked about the other day as far as the whole uh, national economy shut down. you got to look at it at a regional basis, and uh, obviously you do. Getting to the Wall Street Journal story today of this being one of the most critical weeks in the history of our, our our economy in the United States, in that you've got April 1st hitting on Wednesday, you've got all these companies with rent due, paychecks due, payroll tax due, all these different things that are due, and a lot of them are closed, or certainly businesses way down. And the Wall Street Journal points out the uh, Cheesecake Factory, which is getting a lot of attention because they sent a letter letter to all their landlords saying, look, we can't pay rent in April. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to work out here? Over the weekend, they furloughed 40,000 employees from the Cheesecake Factory. I had no idea the Cheesecake Factory was that big, but that's a lot of people that were shocked to find out they don't have a paycheck anymore. They're going to keep them on the insurance through June, which is nice. They're going to give them a meal a day for a while. I think partially because they probably got all that food at the restaurants. They got to do something with it anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, And now this story hit Macy's is furloughing most of its 130,000 workers starting this week. That's a lot of people that are going to be out of work. And all those people, the 130,000 at Macy's, the 40,000 with Cheesecake Factory, and all the little businesses across the country. All those businesses have to pay rent the building they're in, all the stuff I mentioned. And then all those employees... They got a car payment, they got their own rent, they got dog food, they got whatever, cell phone bill. Right. 
Here's an interesting note from Eileen Anonymous. This just came in. Eileen Anonymous. OMG, forget feeling sorry for the people losing their jobs. They are delighted. We normally employ 25 people. Although we've been able to stay open, our cash flow essentially is maybe a quarter of normal on a good day. So we've had to lay off two-thirds of our employees since the start of all this. Now that the government is tacking on an additional $600 a week for four months to their normal unemployment benefit, many of the employees we've been able to keep on are now asking to be laid off because they will make more money that way. We're looking into the loans available to small businesses, but the reality is if we call back all our guys who we put on unemployment, uh, which is one of the conditions of the loans, we are suddenly the bad guy for taking away all that sweet government juice. And even if we were to try to give them bonuses to match what they would have been getting on unemployment, the small business bailout only covers a period of eight weeks. They are getting a free $2,400 a month for four months. My husband just spoke to an Uber driver who had been making 500 bucks a week, but now has gone on unemployment and will be making $800 a week. More wow. than he's ever earned. Wow. On top of the $1,200 check he's getting one time. Wow. The government has no idea the social chaos and disorder they are causing down the line when this is all over. There was one congressperson or senator gave a fairly impassioned speech last week. I don't remember which one it was. About how we need to make sure people don't end up making more on unemployment than they were making at their job or we're going to have a problem. Shut up! You're cruel! Shut up! Because you don't (sighs) want it to be an incentive. And we did get some texts last week of uh, from from somebody who said, we're trying to convince our boss to lay us off because we'll make more money. Yeah. You don't want it to be an incentive. Yeah. And then how do you unwind that? Between the legitimate need, the fact that it's emergency, so people an emergency, so people are running around doing things very quickly, and we all know that's when dumb stuff happens and mistakes are made. Then you got the politics of it entering into it. For instance, you know, like this, you've created an incentive not to work, but you're never going to admit that, um, particularly on the left of the aisle. Then you add to that the grabbing up of the zillions of dollars that are gushing out of Capitol Hill right now. The Kennedy Center taking $25 million for some reason, then firing all the musicians anyway. They got $25 million. You can't pay your employees for a couple of weeks at least. No. I tell you what, this, uh, boy, I, you know, a lot of it may be necessary, but this is going to be just, you're, you know, the classic 800 pound gorilla. This is going to be like a 1300 pound gorilla of waste, fraud, abuse, graft. Ay, ay, ay. I don't mean to be discouraging. You know, we've all got to soldier on and do our best, but I mean, th- the government gushes freebies to the undeserving all the time. This is going to be just a deluge. Pew, 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 That's me playing video games. As you, recomm- child. Uh, you child. You as child. Reco- as recommended by the WHO, the World, World Health Organization is prescribing more video games with the new hashtag play a part together is the idea. Not only a good diversion, but it's a good way to connect socially with friends and family while at home. Play a part together. Pew, 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 pew. Actually, most of the video games my kids play don't go pew, pew. No, that's when you force them to watch you play Galaga to get to the second yeah. rocket again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're not as entertained with what that. is this the olden days? That's I mean that's essentially what I've been doing. I've playing games with my my brother and uh, you know various of my my friends all you know 
talking to each other via the interwebs and, and gaming together. Sean, ask me the question you asked earlier. Uh, do, your, do your kids play Minecraft? Do my kids play Minecraft? <laughs> Are you freaking kidding? Oh, boy. Do your kids play Minecraft too, Hanson? We have Minecraft bedsheets, pillowcases, socks, shoes, shirts, hats, and all of their attention, and it's the only thing they talk about. Wow. The only yeah, thing. At I the dinner that. table, At the dinner table, the last two nights, I, 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 I had to say, okay, one more minute of talking about Minecraft, then no more talking about Minecraft for the rest <laughs> of the dinner. We need to talk about other things. So mom and I can talk, or we can talk about anything. Because they just talk to each other. You found diamonds? Oh, yeah, they're underneath the treasure chest. How do you get under the treasure chest? Oh, yeah, you, well, you have to dig. go underneath the yeah, bench, yeah, and you yeah. dig, and it's just like, I, ah! And it just, it, they're obsessed with it. You've played enough of it. Do you th- is there is there something I can be happy about with Minecraft that oh, it's like to the experts? Yeah, you learning something or yeah? Um, I or would, are they falling under the sway of some weird tiger cult that I no, don't know about? Yeah, maybe. Particularly <laughs> with, with Minecraft, I think the best kind of um, parallel is it's digital Legos. They are they are gathering and they are creating and they are building and a lot of the contraptions that you can make, like you can make these mechanical things in the game. And they follow a lot of the same guidelines that you would use for coding. I think a lot of these games are kind of doing weird pseudo, kind of like Mr. Miyagi, sand the deck and paint the fence, but you're actually learning something. You, I think no, they're, I hope you're right. they're slipping in kind of weird coding uh, do's and don'ts for, for, for games. And it's the certainly... occasional uh, subliminal message to worship Mark Zuckerberg. Well, yeah, right. there's that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I actually started playing the Minecraft myself for the first time a couple weeks ago because my friends during this play a part together sort of thing they made a minecraft server we're all jumping into it oh, and we're cool. just kind of making our own little yeah. houses and stuff in that and it, it's been it's been neat and fun and it, it it's a game that i hadn't exposed myself to before that. do your kids have hogs living in their structures yet and oh yeah sheep and that sort of oh, thing yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, livestock yeah. but i'll hear henry yell out of his bedroom hey i just killed the deer <laughs> <laughs> okay good job son <laughs> i didn't want to but i'm gonna trade it for some tools okay <laughs> All right. Keep at it. I'm out here folding the laundry. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. It's, it's not as mind-numbing as you have to be old enough to know this, but I played this stupid little football game that was a bunch of little dashes on a screen. I guarantee you that had no benefit to None. anything in my body. None. Every, every minute you used it, you lost a point of IQ. Yeah, a lot of modern games, and I think Minecraft is one of them. I think there are kind of hidden supplemental benefits to it other than the worshipping Mark Zuckerberg. Play a part together. Okay, that's what they're doing. Yeah, just too much of a learning curve. I I wish there were more, uh, there probably are games I already know how to do that I could play with my friends. Like, I mean, we could organize a poker game. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure I can do that, but I don't want to be playing with some pro in Singapore online. I just want it to be my buddies or... Playing for money online with your friends would be tricky because various state laws against online gambling. Yeah, you'd have to Venmo each other. Yeah, you'd you'd have to just set up like a play money table and then only invite your friends to it and then settle them offline. Yeah. A friend of mine was talking about organizing a card game, and I'm not touching your filthy cards. Stay away from me. I've been, I started playing on some shady online site for real money. My money's probably going to Russian bots influencing the election. But, oh, clearly. I'm but, mostly uh, on, what is that called? Chat roulette or whatever that is called? That's mostly what I'm doing. <laughs> chat roulette? Ch- chatterbait? I don't <laughs> think chat roulette has existed for some time now. But I could be wrong. <laughs> oh, you know what the... Uh, uh, it's funny you bring up Russian bots. I, I read the other day, and it was a brilliant point. I mean, it wasn't exactly timely, but they're talking about everybody moaning and groaning about the Russians and their influence on the election and the rest of it, and insidious this, that, and the other. 
And they pointed out that that uh, Hillary's campaign spent like a billion dollars. And and the Russians bought, I don't know, a few tens of thousands of dollars of ads, maybe. Maybe. And the idea that that was the, the factor that swayed it when there were literally billions of dollars being thrown around in advertising is just everybody take it easy. I mean, we got to understand Putin's trying to influence us and he's and undermine us and he's a, you know, a monster and the rest of it, but... Come on now. Let's let go of that narrative. Speaking of a lot of money, somebody calculated how much money was lost by not having March Madness, which would have ended last week. Uh, what is your COVID-19 reality at 415-295-KFTC? Are you still eating too much? <laughs> or how's your business? How much longer can you go without customers or with your doors shut? Plus, if you have a woke teen or young adult in your family, we have a couple of new superheroes for them. The folks at Marvel have created superheroes for the woke generation. Am I going to hate this? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> That's great. Armstrong and Getty. Dr. Gottlieb, is he a doctor? Surely he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dr. Scott Gottlieb, director of the FDA, I believe. So he's written this uh, this guide for the way the country's going to open back up. And while he was the first person I heard talk about shutting down cities, counties, and states, and I thought, oh my God, he's the first person talking about opening them back up again, really, in a serious way. And how um, all these measures we've got in place will need to continue for a while. But he said, not necessarily for the period of many months that some experts have predicted would be necessary to fully freeze out the virus. Long before the virus is truly eradicated or defeated, defeated, Gottlieb envisions the country moving on a state-by-state basis into a deeply cautious partial reopening. Most schools, universities, and businesses would resume, albeit with much stricter than usual hygiene and distance controls. But that's fine. Mm-hmm. We can operate that way. Um, I don't think that'll be a big deal. While at-risk populations continued to self-isolate and social gatherings remained limited. But he's talking about getting school back up and going here a lot earlier than I'm hearing anybody else talk about it. I think we're going to be doing a lot of this uh, social distancing, worried about germs thing for a long time, just in our own brains. Yeah. It's going to be a long time before I'm shaking hands with randos and standing real close to a whole bunch of people. Stay and, away from me. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I had just started reading this report when you brought it up, and the one thing he says, and it's obvious, is we need way, way, way better data. We need, we're need. we spinning our wheels here in terms of understanding exactly what we're going to deal with, what we're dealing with, and once we have better data to identify where it's spreading, rate of exposure, who's immune, the rest of it, then then we're we're switched into a much higher gear, which is true. Because then you can start, you know, figuring out who's capable of working, who's who's not, how to protect the kids. He's talking about therapeutic and prophylactic measures and the rest of it. So I think we're a week, two weeks away from having vastly better data, just on the basis of, the basis of all those tests now uh, circulating. Uh, how long is that tape uh, we have, uh, Positive Sean? Uh, it's about 45 seconds. Okay, this is a slightly lighter note. The, uh, the woke crowd is going to have some brand new... 
non-threatening superheroes from the good folks at Marvel. Snowflake and Safe Space are the twins, and their names are very similar to screen time. It's this idea that these are terms that get thrown around on the internet that they don't see as uh, derogatory to take those words and kind of wear them as badges of honor. Safe Space is kind of a big, burly, sort of stereotypical jock. He can create force fields, but he can only trigger them if he's protecting somebody else. Snowflake is non-binary and goes by they, them. Snowflake has the power to generate individual crystallized snowflake-shaped shurikens. The connotations of the word snowflake in our culture right now are something fragile. And uh, this is a character who is uh, turning it into something sharp. They use they, Uh, them. All right, number one, Snowflake's clearly a chick and uh, and, uh, Safe Space is a dude, although he's all in pink with pink hair. And he's wearing a pair of shorts that came straight off of, uh, you know, a, 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 a gay dance club in Miami Beach. Uh, Joe Exotic. Very, very, here, here you go. Take a look. Take a look at that. Yeah, he looks like Joe Exotic. Okay, here's, <laughs> here's, a, here's a clue, kids. Yeah, Snowflake is derogatory. It absolutely is. Safe space. There are no safe spaces. Perhaps in your lover's arms. Uh, and then keep an eye on them. Unbelievable. Now, they do point out that Loki, Thor's nemesis, uh, not arch nemesis, though, just regular nemesis, is bisexual and gender fluid. I did not know that. What? <laughs> Whatever. What's the matter with you people? Wake up and smell the coronavirus. There's no time for this sort of lily-livered snowflakeism. We need real superheroes who smash people's heads and knock down buildings. The president got personal during his press conference yesterday. We can play you some of that. 